Our precious Father, we want to thank you again for the privilege we have to come together to study your word. We are really blessed for there is nothing more important than what you have to say. We trust that by your spirit you will teach us and help us to understand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to look at fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Lay hold on the blessings of God. Our text is 1 Timothy 6.12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. To which you were also called and have confession and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Ephesians six eleven to twelve says, Put on God's whole armor, the armor of a heavy armed soldier, which God supplies, that you may be able successfully to stand up against all the strategies and deceits of the devil. All the strategies and deceits of the devil. For we are not wrestling with flesh and blood, contending with only with physical opponents, but against the despotisms, against the powers, against the master spirits who are the world rulers of the this present darkness, against spirit forces, spirit forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural sphere. So you see, this scripture, when we read it, we, we don't take time to find out what the scripture says. So we jump in and say, oh, we're fighting demons. And then they mess us up big time. Like we said on Sunday, it is important for us to read the scripture and read it carefully. He told us what we are up against is the deceit of Satan. That's what we are up against. His schemes his strategies. That's what we are up against. Oh, but we don't read that. We just start fighting the devil. Let us fight him. Everybody's fighting him. But you know, you can't fight him with ignorance. He will eat you for lunch. So the only fight the Christian is really to fight is the fight of faith. Because it is through the truth that you overcome deceit. It is through the truth that you know that you overcome the deceit and the strategies of the devil. The fight of faith is a fight that gives you victory over the strategies of Satan. He tries to make you deny the truth. He tries to make you deny the testimony of the scripture. He tries to make you Believe that the word of God does not work. That is part of his major strategy. That is his major strategy. Because when you don't agree with scripture, it will never work for you. He knows that. And so the main fight we are fighting is the fight of having faith in the written word of God, in the scripture, in the testimonies of the Holy Spirit. The good fight of faith. So when he tries to convince you that the word of God does not work and undermine your faith, you stand on the truth because you are persuaded that the scripture is true. So let us understand that since we are dealing with the strategies and deceits of the devil, the number one thing a Christian must, be, must understand is that you must 
not give the devil an advantage over yourself by being ignorant, by living an ignorant life, and by giving him foothold into your life and affairs. If you do, you have inadvertently given him invitation into your affairs and inadvertently giving him legal authority to attack you because you opened the door for him. So we must not give the devil a place in our lives. Ephesians 4, 25. Therefore, putting a well lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. 27. Nor give place to the devil. You see, the Holy Spirit says, you can give the devil a place in your affairs, in your life. And he says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your right. Nor give place. Which means, don't do the nor is connecting what he said before, that your wrath can give place to the devil. Your lying can give place to the devil. And he continued in verse 28. Let him who stole steal no longer. Stealing will give place to the devil. But rather let him labor, walking with his hands, what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. That will give place to the devil. When you speak corrupt words, you invite him to do them. But what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearer, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, these are the things that give place to the devil, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. Do not give place to the devil. With all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgiven. So if, if we understand these things, then we'll be very careful the kind of life we live. Again, we're dealing with the strategies of the devil, with his deceits, with his schemes. Because if he gets you to throw anger tantrums, you say things you will regret. Your testimony will be in tatters. People will not believe that you are a Christian. There's nothing graceful in that kind of thing. Nothing gracious. He just takes all your testimony and tears it to straight and throws it into your face and tell people, look at this one. How many of us take photographs and then you say to the photographer, wait, let me get angry before you take the picture and see how you look. So we're dealing with this, with this schemes. So if he wants to make you walk in the flesh, you say no. Because that will give him advantage. Canon life is the devil's playground. Canon life is the devil's playground. Whereas the spirit life is the Holy Spirit's playground. The choice is yours. That's why it's important to grow out of carnality. Very, very important. Have you ever seen a, a child win a, bat, win, win a confrontation anyway? As long as you are a baby, a Christian baby, you'll be, you, 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 he will be very vulnerable to him, to his schemes and things because you don't know anything. You don't know much. And you live by your flesh. 
those common behaviors signify lack of spiritual growth. So James 3, 13, 16 makes it clear. If you consider yourself to be wise and one who understands the ways of God, advertise it with a beautiful, fruitful life, guided by wisdom's gentleness. If you consider yourself to be wise and one who understands the ways of God, one who is not walking in ignorance, Advertise it, let people see it with a beautiful, fruitful life guided by wisdom's gentleness. Which means don't, don't, don't you, you do things, you don't brag, you don't want to attract attention to yourself. Then never brag or boast about what you've done, and you will prove that you are truly wise. Don't draw attention to yourself. Don't be selfish. Instead, be selfless. But if there is bitter jealousy or competition hiding in your heart, then don't deny it and try to compensate for it by boasting and being phony. For that has nothing to do with God's heavenly wisdom, but can best be described as wisdom of this world, both selfish and devilish. We are dealing with these schemes of the devil. So when we live a selfish life, self-focused life, we are the center of everything. Selfish. I must be recognized. I must be, somebody must recognize I'm here. I must have my say so. I must say it. He got you. He just got you. He will eat you for breakfast and lunch and dinner because you don't have self-control. You're a car that has no brake. Accident will happen. The Bible says that has nothing to do with God's heavenly wisdom, that kind of lifestyle. So, he said, so wherever jealousy and selfishness are uncovered, you will also find many troubles, every kind of meanness. I like New Living Translation, James 3.16. It says, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. The devil's playground is living a carnal life. So if you want to overcome the schemes of the enemy, you've got to grow and go mature. You owe it to yourself. It's not a matter of I'm going to church, I'm going to church. No, have you grown? Are you matured? Are you led by your flesh, emotions? Or are you led by his spirit? You can't go wrong if you are led by his spirit. Faith John wrote to the church. He said, those who want to deceive you, he said, I'm warning you about that. He said, but you have the anointing in you. You have the Holy Spirit in you. And he will guide you. He will teach all things. So they will not be able to deceive you. Because you are following the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And learn to always submit to God and his word. That's living the spirit world, life. Then that will empower you to resist the devil. But if you are not submissive to God, you know that you are not, because you know you are not, you will know it and you cannot muster boldness to resist the devil. You will not be able, because you know you are living a rebellious life against God. James 4, 7 says, submit yourself therefore to God, first of all, 
then resist the devil and he will flee from you. Some people don't follow the scriptures. They want to bind and lose the devil when they are rebellious to God. The same spirit of the devil, you are doing the same thing he's doing, and you want to cast him out, he will cast you out first. He's going to cast you out first because you are rebellious too. So the Bible says we should, we should submit to God. Then we can resist the devil. Again, when we read the scripture, let us read the scripture carefully. It's just the same thing like this prayer of agreement. Everybody says, oh, I'm going for a job interview. Can you agree with me? I'll get the job. I say, I agree with you. That's not Bible. And people are doing this because they will not take time to study and read the Bible word for word and see what the Bible says. So if, if, if you see me on the road, you say, Pastor, I agree with me. I agree with you. So what is it? But the Bible, we call it prayer of agreement. There has to be prayer first. That's why it's called prayer of agreement. There has to be prayer first. And then you agree that God has answered. That's what that scripture says. What if two of you shall agree upon it as concerning anything which they shall ask? They must ask first. And then agree as concerning it that God has answered. But you can't be going around and say, I'm going to do this. Bro, agree with me. I say, I agree with you. And then you come back and say, it didn't work. Because you didn't follow scripture. So scripture says, submit to God. If you want the devil to run, submit to God. Then resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, there are, there are some of the misconceptions that we need to uh, um, look at. Many Christians do not realize they have spiritual authority to deal with the devil. Many don't. Those who do are not too sure how it works or whether it works at all. So in a situation where they should be Rebuking the devil, they are talking to God. And it doesn't work. Let me say it here and now. If you don't deal with the devil yourself, there's nothing God will do about it. If you, Christian, if you don't resist the devil yourself, God assigned you to do that. God is not going to come and resist the devil for you. So many Christians don't even know they have the authority to resist the devil. And then there is this popular belief that the Christian is a victim of demonic attack all the time. This has a very adverse chilling effect of weakening our faith and resolve. We have the mentality of being backed into a corner. This inadvertently gives the devil a status he does not have. Brethren, he said, defeated spirit, publicly disgraced, displayed, disarmed and put under our feet. And I'm saying this for his benefit. Let him hear it. That's who he, that's who he is. He's a defeated spirit, publicly disgraced, publicly dis- displayed, disarmed. He's a toothless bulldog and put under our feet. So how did we get this idea that he's this great that he's chasing Christians all around town and the, the word attack used to be a military term. Now, Christ is a major, is a major Christian word. One, everywhere you go, attack. If you tell somebody this, oh, it's attack. Oh, it's attack. Oh, yeah, it's attack. It's attack. So the military doesn't own the word anymore. 
Christians have taken it over. It's attack. It's attack. It's attack. So when you have that mental picture in your mind, it weakens your faith. It weakens you. By the way, how do you even know what is happening to you? It's attack. Oh, everything is attack. It's attack. It's attack. Bro, I had this dream. Oh, it's attack. This is, oh, it's attack. That's demonic. It's a demonic deceit. Yes, the devil attacks us. We know that. But the whole picture is that we are the ones attacking him. We must get it correct. We are the ones on, on the attack. He's not the one. He does attack us. We can't deny that. And that's why I have the authority to deal with him. But we are the ones attacking him. He should be the one talking about attack, attack all the time. Not us. It gives him status he doesn't even have at all. It, it really makes him feel very, he must be very excited. This is somebody under our feet. How did he crawl out there and now we're talking about them attacking, attacking, attacking? No, no. We must have to change this thing, change this paradigm. Look, the truth is, we are the ones actually attacking him. I'm dealing with him mercilessly. He runs from us. Look at Matthew 8, 28. And when he was, he was come, this is our Lord Jesus. You, you read about Jesus, you see that he was going all the, all the place, attacking the demons, kicking them everywhere they see them. Everywhere he sees them. This one he entered into a boat specifically to deal with these demons that are in that, in that town. He went to deal with them specifically. So Matthew 8, 28. And when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gagasins, there met him two possessed with devils. He came to that city to deal with these demons. Okay? Coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man could pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? How that come hither to torment us before the time? They are lying. He didn't come to torment them. He came to cast them out. See the scheme of the devil? Oh, he came to torment us. No, 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 no. He came to cast them out, not torment nothing. He said, you come here to torment us. They know he came for them. He came on purpose to deal with them. They blocked the road. Nobody passes. He came and kicked them out. Vastate, and there was a good way off from them and heard of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him. They were begging. <laughs> they were begging. They besought him saying, if thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the heart of swine. They are begging. Does this look like, does it look like somebody we should be talking about? Taka, taka, taka. And he said unto them, go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine, and behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the water. They had no way up again. You see how smart, how smart these spirits are. They are not very smart at all. They went into the swine. The swine perished. So where are they now? So Jesus sent his disciples to go out and attack the devil. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Matthew 10, 7. And as you go preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it's right here. 
a superior kingdom is in town. It's here. Then heal the sick. What else do you do? Cleanse the lepers. What else do you do? Raise the dead. And then what else do you do? Cast out demons. Kick them out. Kick them out. Run them out of town. Freely you have received, freely give. We, we are the ones of the pro- we are the ones chasing this this Palestine around. We are the ones. How many Christians are waiting at the corner, waiting? We hear attacking me. We have to stop that kind of thing. Acts eight five. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Brethren, watch a Christian. He went to Samaria. And preach Christ unto them. That's a powerful word. Attack him is to preach Christ, is to preach the gospel, the power of God unto salvation. You preach the power of God and the demons on the run. Preach Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto these, those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For the first thing, unclean spirits cried. Why shouldn't they cry? Crying. With loud voice came out of many that were possessed with the many. And many taken with pauses that were lame were healed. And there was a great joy in that city. Why? One man, one man went down there and said, I'm on a mission. Came to attack all of you. Came to attack all Does this sit, does it look like uh, sitting down and having a conference with Satan and said, Can we make a deal? When are you leaving? No, he was kicked out. The cast out is to throw something in a direction by force. To exclude something. So this is our commission. Mark 16, 15. And he said unto them, go ye into all the world. Pray the gospel to every creature. That's how we snatch people out of their kingdom. With the gospel, which is the power of God that saves people. 16. He that believeth and that is baptized shall be saved. Saved from the kingdom of Satan brought into the kingdom of God. We're on the attack, people. We are on the, relentlessly on the attack. And preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. We're on the attack. Oh, brethren, why do They should be saying these people, these people are here again. Acts 17 says, and when they found them out, they drew Justin and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are coming to us. They disrupted everything, brethren. They disrupted, man, they disrupted. The devil couldn't contend. He didn't even know what to do. They disrupted everything. So the kingdom of God is here. There's a superior kingdom. There's a power you can't handle. There's a name you can't handle. Really, why the people are attacking? We must change this mentality and stop giving the, the defeated spirit the honor that is it's not doing. Look, the, the devil has done everything he did to stop Christ from rising, to, to, to destroy the plan of God for salvation. And Christ rose from the dead. All the powers of hell got together to disrupt that plan of God. They did everything. Jesus said, said, this is your hour. And the power of that. They did everything. On the third day, God kicked them. Kicked them like, like dust. And Jesus rose. He defeated. All of them put together. He crushed them on the door. Messed them up big time. 
They were publicly shown to be powerless. Jesus rose in glory. Publicly demonstrated. If they could stop him from rising, they would have been able. But they couldn't. And when he rose up, he took the cloth and, and they put it in order, kept it for one corner for them. One corner in the tomb that's left. Every time, attack, attack, they were attack, attack, attack. Jesus gave authority to the church, his body, and also the right to use his name. Luke 10, 19. Behold, I give unto you power to trade on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. This is the Lord of truth. This is the truth. I give unto you power to trade upon serpents and scorpions. And the word serpents and scorpions, you know, he uses metaphors. It's metaphorical. So what is the serpents and scorpions? Over all the power of the enemy. All the power of the enemy. All of them. All of them are in any form, shape. All of them. And nothing, they can do nothing. Pishikim, they can do. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Oh, they have been disarmed. All his teeth have been pulled up. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. And the devil recognizes this authority. Just like when you go, you recognize the authority of the, of the police, the authority of you know, people who enforce government laws, the city people. You recognize the authority and you respond. The devil recognizes the authority that Jesus gave to the church. Acts 19.15 And the devil, the evil spirits answered and said, Jesus I know. Of course, why shouldn't he? <laughs> he said, Jesus I know. Paul I know. Who else? You put your name. He knows you. Why? You are in Christ like Paul. Christ is in you like Paul. He said, I know Jesus. I recognize him. I recognize Paul. But you people, are, who are you? are not Christians. Where did you come from? So that scripture should be, Jesus, I know Paul, I know, I put my name. And he knows me too. He recognizes that authority. He recognizes that Paul has this authority of Jesus. They always do. But the tragedy is that the Christian doesn't. He doesn't recognize that authority, so he doesn't use it. If he uses it, it's so wishy-washy. There's no force, force of conviction. There's no force of expectation. There's no force of knowledge in it. It's just like using the name of Jesus like rabbit food there, you know. When, fear, when they are fearful, oh, Jesus, Jesus, blood of Jesus, blood. Just fearful stuff that is totally worthless and useless. Now, let's understand the basis of this authority is two. Number one is that we are joined to Christ, joined to Christ, become one with him. You must understand this principle of being part of the body of Christ, being a, part, being a Christian, is being part of the body of Christ. If you don't, you're not going to understand a lot of things in Christianity. Many of it, it, it comes from you being joined to Christ Jesus and becoming part of his body. A Christian is a member of the part of the body of Christ. So in, in, um, uh, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, and Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Lo, and with you, 
always even unto the end of the world. And they say, Amen. Now, this power given to him is shared by the body. Brother, I'm standing here. If, if I'm the senior pastor of this church. Whatever authority that is in that office of the senior pastor, it's both my head and my body that, that oppress that authority. I can't enter here and then somebody say, Pastor, you know, since you are the, only your head is the, is the senior pastor, your body is not. And so you don't have the authority. This part from neck down does not have the authority of the senior pastor. No, no, no. The authority of the senior pastor is, a, is something given to a person. It's a person. From his, his head, his leg, his arm, it's a personality. It's the something that the Bible is revealing. Romans 8, 17. And if children, then hears, hears of God, and joint hears with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together with him. If you are children of God, if you are a child of God, you, you share whatever Christ has. Equal, co-hair means equal sharing, equal ownership. His authority you also have equal ownership of the authority that Christ has. Why? Because you are joined together and become one with him. You can't cut my neck off and say, no, this is the head. This one doesn't have the authority. No. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ. Now you are the body of Christ. Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. Ephesians 5.30, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. 1 Corinthians 6.17, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with him. We're joined to the, to the Lord, we have become members of his body. So if Jesus, if Jesus has authority, then members of his body... Share in that authority. All of us. That's why we're joined hairs with him. Now, the truth of being part of his body is while we died with him, rose with him, seated with him in that place of authority. Because he's identified with us. He said, if, if you do this to any, any of these little ones that believe in me, it's me you are doing this into. It's me. You must understand that you are identified with Christ. You are not apart from him. You are one with him. That's Christianity. Romans 6. So what do, you, so what do we do then? Romans 6 verse 1. Do we persist in sin so that God's kindness and grace will increase? What a terrible thought. We have died to sin once and for all. And as a dead man passes away from this life, so how could we live under sin's rule a moment longer? You know why people preach sin? They don't know this truth. They don't even know there is anything like this. They don't believe it. Verse 3. Or have you forgotten that all of us who were immersed into union with Jesus, the anointed one, were immersed into union with his death? Now, let me illustrate this. If this will help us understand it. You know, when Lazarus died, it was the whole of Lazarus that was put in the tomb. There was nothing like, oh, it is only his head. The body is not there. Lazarus was in the tomb, his hand, his leg, his head, everything. 
That's what the scripture is, is picturing and telling us. That Jesus was in the tomb. We, he is the head. His body, which is you, was in the tomb. And when Lazarus rose, he didn't leave his leg in the tomb. And say, no, 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 no. Only my head will rise. No, he rose with his head, his hand, everything. Completely his body. When Jesus rose, he rose with his body. The church. The church. That's what the Spirit of God is saying here. Why? Because it's a spiritual joining. He that is joined to the Christ is joined is one spirit with him. We are co-joined with Christ. In the mind of God, God sees us as one with Christ and calls it so. So Romans 6 verse 4. Sharing in his death by our baptism means that we were co-buried with him so that when the Father's glory raised Christ from the dead, we were also raised with him. When Lazarus rose from the dead, Lazarus rose with him. Christ the head, for instance, Lazarus rose with his hand. You could be hand, you could be leg, but you rose. every part of Lazarus rose. The same thing with Christ rose, every part of his body rose with him in newness of life. That's why we are born again. That's why we get, we, we get the privilege of being born again in newness of life. We have been co-resurrected with him so that we could be empowered to walk in the freshness of this new life. For since we are permanently grafted into him to experience a death like this, then we are permanently grafted into him to experience a resurrection like his. And the new life that it imparts us, verse 6. Could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power? For we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us so that we will not continue to live any moment longer submitted to sin's power. Obviously, a dead person is incapable of sin, sinning. See? So this... this this Holy Spirit testimony is a very marvelous thing. He says, we, look, the, again, like Lazarus was in the tomb, and Lazarus came out, his whole body, the same thing. You are part, God sees you, calls those things that are not as if you were, sees you as a member of the body of Christ, sees you, and he says, yeah, this is because he knows that's what you are, member of the body of Christ. So when Christ died, God said, you died with him, his whole body died, crucified his whole body. When he rose, his whole body rose with him. And look at what happens in Ephesians 2, 4. But God still loved us with such great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy. Even when we were dead and doomed in our sins, he, God was seeing us as united with Christ. He called those sins that are not as if they as if were. Even when we were in sin, God was calling us out as united with Christ. The same thing we, we, we ought to be doing. We call those things that are not as if they were, and they come into existence. So God was calling us out. And saying that you are united even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins. He united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. For we are now co-seated as one with Christ. You see, when I came up here, my whole body came up here. When I sat there, my whole body sat down there. But when I rose up and came up this step, my whole body, so God sees you as part of Christ, 
He sees you as part of the church, the body of Christ, and he says so. So when Christ rose up, like when Lazarus rose up, came out, the whole body of Christ came out, and when Christ rose up to heaven, God sees you. Remember, it's not a physical thing. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. God sees you as part of Christ. It not, you, nothing pulls it up. So we are, when he's seated in authority, that's why you are also seated. So you can exercise the same authority that Christ has. Because you're part of his body. When, 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 I, when, when a bishop comes somewhere and we give him bishop's seat, he sits there. He, not, you can't say, bishop, only your head. No, 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 no. All his body sits there. All his body. He sits there. You can't say, bishop, your leg, your fingers are small. They can't sit there. No. He will sit in that exalted position. His whole body. So when Jesus sat, God sees the body, the church. So we are seated with him. His whole body, his whole body, you and me, joined to him. We are seated with him. It's a spiritual phenomenon. But that's true. And then because we are seated there, we share in that same authority that he has in that exalted position. Now, First Corinthians, I mean, Ephesians 1.19. I also pray that you will understand the incredible, you see, Paul is praying that the Spirit of God will open the eyes of the church to understand this truth. That they should understand this truth. He said, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in place of honor at God's right hand in heavenly realm. That's why you are seated. 21. Now, he, he is far above, Christ is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. 22. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. He doesn't need it here. We are the ones here. And so the Bible says, when the Bible said that God put everything under the feet of Christ, who is Christ? Jesus is the head. The body is the church. So he put everything under the feet of the church. Under the feet. And the means everything is under your feet. For your benefit here, because you are the one representing him here. You are the one carrying out his mission here. You are the one that needs this thing here. Let me read it again. Verse 22. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him sit over all things for the benefit of the church. When you read it, you say, oh, he put it under Christ. You exclude yourself. Now read the next verse. The next verse said, and the church is his body which you are part of. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. So where he is seated is where you are seated. The authority or he has is the authority you have. And you use it here on earth. We are his body here on earth. We are his body here on earth. The church and you're part of it. So we can carry out the work that he assigned to the church. Cast out devils. Heal the sick. With this authority that he gave us. Secondly, we have the authority through our privilege to use his name. Why? Because we are his body. And also because we represent him. So if we are his body, we share the privilege of using his name. You can't, my, this, this my hand, 
has the right to be, he said, this, this is Emmanuel's hand. It's my hand. So, he has the authority to use my name. We have the authority to use the name of Jesus. Because we are members of his body. Second Corinthians 5.20. So, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his special, uh, making his appeal through us. So God is speaking through us. We are his ambassadors. We represent him here on earth. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Because we got to preach this gospel, so the authority in the name was given to the church again. Look at um, Philippians 2.8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exhausted him, giving him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, those on earth here, those under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Mark sixteen fifteen, And he said unto them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. See, Paul said, we speak in his place. We are his ambassadors. We need his authority to do the same work he did. And he gave us also his name. So, Mark 16, 15, and he said unto them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. 17, and these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall Cast out devils. Attack them in my name. It's given to us. Because we are doing the same work he came to do. The same thing we saw him do is the same work we are doing. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. Remember I said nothing shall by any means hurt you. It shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick. They shall recover. So then, after, so then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. He sat there, and his body is here, but they have the same authority of the head, the same authority of the head. Because we are seated with him, we share the same authority. So we speak in his, on his behalf. We are his ambassadors. We are the body here. And then verse 20, and they went forth now, preached everywhere, and the Lord walking with them, the same authority, the same body, walking with them, confirming the world with signs following. And the, the Holy Spirit put Amen there. The other thing we need to know, talking about the schemes of the devil, is that the devil constantly and relentlessly is so desperate to enter into your thought life, to control what you think, to control your thoughts, and what you believe, because if he can get you to believe something that is not the truth, he will defeat you. And let me say it here. If the devil will take you to focus on, on things you see, how you feel, he will defeat you. I don't care what you do. You have to insist. You must insist on taking him to Scripture. You must do that. Once you take him to Scripture, constantly you defeat him. Eat him like lunch. You finish him. But if it takes you to look at all these things happening around, game over. So, you must not let him take control of your, of your thought process. You must not. Proverbs 4.20. My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. That's how constantly 
constantly meditating. I keep saying it, meditate on the word of God day and night. Those who don't have time to meditate will never grow spiritually. They won't. And they will, not, they will not operate at the level at which they're supposed to. Because it's meditation that makes the word, this word take root into your, into your spirit. Carefully, and then 21, don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them, healing to all their whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. If the devil wants to get into your heart to control it, shouldn't you really guard it relentlessly too? You must not allow ignorance. That's why you must give yourself to Scripture. Ignorance will give him advantage over you. Then stop his mind game. Because he tries to show you fearful things, to manipulate your thoughts, to believe the worst. He tries to make you believe you will die. Show you disaster, failures, hopelessness. Every evil thing he can muster to, to make you fearful. He will, he will come as a thought. You think you are the one thinking, but he's the one that is planting those thoughts. He wants to penetrate and make those thoughts take root. And if it takes root, you start believing it, that's what you get. Because as a man thinketh, he has so he is. He knows these things. He knows it very well. Second Corinthians 5, I mean 10, 5. 2 Corinthians 10, 5. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy. You see? He gives you fantasy if you are going to die. This will happen to you. Ah, you, 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 you man, he, he, he's so relentless in this thing because he's determined to succeed. Christians must know this. That you kicked him up this morning doesn't make he's relentless. You too must be relentless. The Bible says with all diligence. We can, we can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God. And break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture like prisoners of war every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. You bring it to the word of God and say, this is what God said. We have to know what God said first and believe it. And That's why it's the fight of faith. That's why it's the most important fight, the fight of faith. This, King James says, cast it down imaginations. Brethren, he gives people fantasy. He gives you pictures. He gives the worst things. He tells you this symptom is cancer. Oh, he kills it. Before you know it, you are panicking and sweating. He tells you your child is finished. Right? No, you can't. How long has it? No. He gives you the worst scenario just to finish you off. But if you are listening to God, he will build your faith. But if you are listening to the devil, it brings fear. And once it gives you fear, game over. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exhausts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, we need to learn to stand up to the devil. Let him know who is the boss. Be bold and tough. Resist him steadfast, consistently, with a strong vigorous faith, a very determined resistance that sends a message there is no chance you are backing down. He will get the message and run in agony or in terror. Look at James 4, 7. So then surrender to God, stand up to the devil and resist him and he will flee in agony. I will have fun see him run in agony. 
Are you free in agony? First Peter 5, 9. Take a decisive stand against him and resist his every attack with strong, vigorous faith. That's why it's the fight of faith. Your victory is your faith. Vigorous faith. For you know that your believing brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing the same kinds of trouble you endure. He says, take a decisive, don't be belittling, decisive stand against him. Resist his every attack with strong, vigorous faith. Strong and vigorous. And finally, he will try to refocus you away from Christ. That is his masterpiece. He tries to refocus you to your problem. Brethren, faith does not come from looking at your, at your problem. Faith doesn't come. Fear comes. Faith comes by looking at Christ and his word. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes by hearing. That is hearing the good news about Christ. That's how faith comes. Ephesians 1, 7. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. 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 Christ Jesus. The knowledge of him. So that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the sense are? What he has given you, the privileges you have. So we overcome Hebrew 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us off, and let us run with endurance the face the phrase God has said before us, how do we do these things? How do we have victory over these things? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. If he succeeds in refocusing you from Jesus, game over. He do this by focusing on keeping our eyes on Jesus and his word. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross in disregarding his shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor besides God's tomb. Now, 1 John 5, 4 says, For whatsoever is born of God overcome the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So our faith is what gives us victory. That's why it's called a good fight of faith. Verse 5, Who is it that overcometh the world? But he that believed that Jesus is the Son of God. When you focus on Christ, your faith in Christ is strong. That is the faith that overcomes the world. Jesus is the foundation of faith. He is the word. He is the truth. He is the light. He is all that matters. You can't take your eyes off him. The enemy will try, oh, you know, our comfort zone is the natural things we see. And, the, you know, the things that make sense in our head. And we'll easily fall for that. But we shouldn't do that. That's what he did to... Um, the church in Galatia. Galatia chapter 3. Message. Say, you crazy Galatians. Did someone put a hex on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened. For it's obvious that you no longer have the crucified Christ in clear focus in your lives. The devil did this. Paul said, somebody put a hex on you. This is demonic. His sacrifice on the cross was certainly said before you clearly enough. Verse 2, let me put this question to you. How did you, your new life begin? Was it by walking your heads off to please God? Or was it by re- responding to God's message to you? 
Are you going to continue this craziness? Taking your eyes off Jesus. And then you know when your eyes is off Jesus because you live in fear. Number two, everything you talk about is your problem. Everybody, everybody that's talking with you, you must talk about. Even when you are leading in prayer, it will show up. <laughs> People listening to you will know, you, know your problem. Because that's why you're focused. You describe what you focus on. But if it is out of sight, then it's out of mind. You can't be talking about it again. Let's learn from Abraham. Romans 4, 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickened the dead and called those things that be not as though they were 18, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. Against hope believed in hope that he might become. If he didn't, he won't become. Might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. He believed according to that which was spoken. So shall that seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body. This is why the devil comes to push you off and you start considering. And then you have all these unbelieving believers, fire extinguishers. They go to church, they don't listen, they don't know much. And they come to you and all you talk is cannot talk. Cannot talk. And the devil sends them. And when they come, they will greet you face, sister, good evening. What is good about your coming? You are coming to kill my faith. Eighteen. Who again so believe in hope that it might become the father of many nations according to that which is spoken? So shall thy seed be. And be not working in faith, consider not his own body down dead. When he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. But was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Let's learn from Abraham. Stop considering all this stuff that the devil is showing you. He takes your eyes off Jesus. He takes your eyes off, eyes off your source of faith. The author and finisher of faith. He puts your eyes on the source of doubt and unbelief. Faith does not come by looking at your challenges. Faith does not come by what all those friends are talking about. Faith comes by looking unto Jesus. And by focusing on Jesus, he is the author and finisher of our faith. Let us pray. Precious Father, we just want to thank you for teaching us again that we need to fight this fight of faith. For the faith in Christ is our victory. Without him, nothing happens. Without him, nothing happens. He is the object and focus of our faith. Those that trust in him will never be put to shame. Thank you for teaching us, reminding us again that we are joined with Christ. We speak the language of heaven. We are joined with Christ. We are part of his body. That's why we are members of the church. And that everything has been put under the feet of Jesus. Of course, the church is his body. And so everything is put under our feet. We enjoy the same authority that he has and the authority of his name. Thank you, merciful Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hello, church. Thank you for joining us for this week's Bible study. Please join us again next Thursday by visiting live.ftlw.org. You can also 